Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Utmost. Utmost is the first extended workforce system that supports the entire external workforce lifecycle from rec to check and beyond, built exclusively for Workday customers. We are a single global platform that optimizes total talent, spend visibility, and operational efficiency across the enterprise. And today, I'm thrilled, and I love this. We're talking about savings, guys. What's what's being missed? What's important for the chief procurement officer to make sure that they recognize when they're thinking about an extended workforce world? I think when Utmost talks a lot about contingent workforce, we always talk about HR a lot. One, because of the workday connection, the idea of around people, but it's just as important to hit procurement. We were just in Minnesota for an event and it was phenomenal. We had two phenomenal speakers and someone from procurement. I've never heard a procurement representative talk about talent and talent strategy as much as he did. And I think that's really huge. I think what's been really cool over the past two years is HR using procurement language and procurement using HR language. It's starting to cross pollinate. It's happening, guys. It's not just about spend and cost crushing. It's about value finding. But what's important for your CPO to not miss when they're thinking about what their goals and their strategies are. As with me, as always, now is Ms. Julie. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I agree. I've been in the industry for a long time. And I think because of the way the traditional VMSs have been, the functionality has been presented, it's really lended itself to more of a procurement technology. And so most of the clients that I've worked with in the past, that program was managed by procurement. And I think because of that, they care, have to care as much about that talent as they can. And obviously there's been tremendous pressures put on procurement a year and a half with the pandemic. So really understanding how the workforce is changing, remote work, new talent strategies that are coming up. I think it makes it super important for them to be a part of that conversation. In our data, we see HR taking the lead in in some of these programs of the future, but procurement's still very much involved in half or more of the contingent labor programs out there. So I think it's an important topic to discuss. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting to think about when you think about folks who've done this or people who have CW programs for 15 years and beyond, they're almost always procurement. And it does make sense, like VMS, vendor management system. It really was about supplier rationalization. Who are we using? Do we need this many people in the same labor categories? And really around the rate optimization. So before it used to be you could hire project managers and a manager would just say, great, it's $35, it's $75, it's $225. If they knew the person, likely to be higher cost than if they didn't know the person. It was SOW versus staffing. And so it makes sense when the deal was, can we consolidate invoicing? How do we submit time faster? And can we find some savings on just starting to track what the rates were and have a target, right? But I think it's gone beyond now, right? I mean, my guess is everyone now in a Gen 1 program says cost savings is very important. But then you get to Gen 2 and 3 and 4. And at some point, especially now, right? The great resignation, the great reshuffle, talent has won the war. Cost crushing can't happen, right? You can't say every year my procurement team is going to reduce costs on temporary staffing or SOW by 10% each year now, because it's different. It's much more about about value, right? Soft savings or so, but you kind of, I don't want to say you're one and done in the initial, but the largest amount of savings comes from that. And again, I think that was the major driver when I think about 15 years ago, or even 20, depending on who's counting here, when this industry kind of really started to move forward, that was the main, that was the main selling point. 
time cards, consolidated invoicing and rate consolidation. I mean, did you see anything else? Yeah, no. And I think that you kind of touched on a big distinction is temp labor, sort of that contingent time and materials versus statement of work. And as statement of work has attempted however varying success they've had um, to get put into a VMS to be managed, you see that, you know, double, triple the amount of spend that's not even being captured in a VMS that's that procurement's having to deal with via existing supplier contracts and one-off negotiations that, that really make it sort of impossible for them to really look at their total workforce in terms of how can we plan and save and drive value across the entire enterprise. So for those of, of you guys who are newer listeners, sometimes when we talk about classification right, or misclassification, there's actually a couple different types. So you'd hit on a, a point about temp staffing versus consulting in the higher rate. So let's define our terms here because what I think about some CW programs will say, ah, that should have been staffing versus SOW. You misclassified the work, right? very different than it's an independent contractor instead of an employee, right? So there's misclassification when it comes to kind of employment regulations and what's important and how people are being treated or whatnot. And then this one I think is important to call out is our industry has created this, right? And it's not a bad thing, but we created this, the idea of saying, hey, these arrangements should look like this, right? It became the statement of work consulting groups we're usually seconding people kind of like a staffing agency, but saying, Hey, you can have a project man and charging. Let me make this up $185 an hour, right? For a high price consulting project manager versus what a staffing company may have been able to find for $65 an hour. And so there became this push and pull of, wait a second, if you're a consulting agency with subject matter expertise and niche skill sets, shouldn't we be working with you on delivery? versus a time and materials, like we're really just using your people, right? Is it staff hog or do I have purpose? And you started to see procurement and HR pull away a little bit from each other with different nuances, right? Procurement's gonna want cost reduction as well as moving the contract forward fast. And HR, anyone who had a CW program team will say, well, wait a second, can't we get that value in a different way? And so again, for our listeners here, when we talk about kind of SOW versus temp classification, most countries don't have specific employment laws about this. This is more about how did you arrange the work and could it be done in a different way? Because if you are spending $225 for project manager or 75 and there's no end in sight or no deliverable or no idea of like what quality is, you miss out the opportunity for different cost savings. Now, sometimes if you are able to evaluate what quality is in the statement of work, you can quantify that. But what was happening is most people weren't. They were just saying, great. I trust you, vendor X, Y, and Z, just give me the people because it's all about speed and talent versus cost and risk. I just always love to call that out and just make sure people, it's not an employment classification. This is an industry standard that we say, you can do things cheaper and potentially faster if you source through a staffing agency or someone whose job is to recruit versus with a specialized skill set that may be upcharging them because because of their specialty. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that visibility to the statement of work workers is something that has also been a struggle. When we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Jane Moran podcast, she was saying that's something that she really struggled with as a CIO is really understanding who are the workers that we have here? What are their skill sets? What are they doing? And I think 
when you are on a blanket SOW, that visibility to workers, it's hard to determine performance. It's hard to determine quality. It's hard to really understand what the job profiles are of the talent that you have in the door, which is also a missed opportunity, both for savings and for value. And I couldn't agree more. When I think about how statements of work go wrong. So our teams work so hard on, is it the right cost? What price do we set? And then the first three months, things are fine. And then something dips. And what we came to realize was typically when they'd stand up, whether it's a services project, outsourcing, whatever it was, is they'd put senior resources on it. And then 90 days later, they, instead of, I'm going to make this number up, instead of having like four senior resources on this at a senior level, this job profile, what they would do is then change it to eight junior people. So we'd see quality, things go work out fine. And then it would drop and everybody would say, well, why? And we find out, whoa. We have eight new people who weren't on the original project. They have junior level titles or completely different titles. And so one of the things that we had to really do is to your point of making sure we understand who's attached to what statement of work and have an ability to do quality because this is where the other cost savings comes, right? It's more softer is the dip in quality. And when it comes to, let's say, bug fixing or security becomes much more of a more important thing than just web design. But when you think about over a period of time, yeah, you're paying this, but now you you have a lot less quality. People are upset. You're having to hire people, go in and change. And there's a lot of savings that are lost on now going back and fixing, right sizing, getting the right people on versus if you're able to see, hey, these four senior, and I could see the minute they left, you'd be able to get ahead of it and say, no, 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 no. This was not part of our arrangement. You didn't talk to me about this. If that's what we are doing, let's talk about how it's supposed to be looking at. But a lot of it has been done with like a, like a sneaky shift. Right. Well, and I think it goes for both the the worker and the supplier. You think about the amount of time and effort that procurement puts into managing supplier relationships. And so if you don't have a really good understanding and, and beat on how they're doing and performing, not to mention how their workers are doing and performing, it can be quite a mess. A hundred percent. Because let's be honest, the sales teams are always different from the service team. Right. So who you spoke to and who's actually doing the work from sales and contracting or whatnot is a very different team from who actually are providing the delivery services. But again, it goes back to just that transparency. Who was put on my project? Great. And company still owns it. Who was put on my project? But who are they? Were they vetted? Have they been at your company? I think that's one of the other good bait and switches, right? Where you work with different companies and they say, I've sold you this thing. And then when you actually meet the people, they're two months old at the company. Versus what the sales team says is we have 25 years of experience. Yeah, say, ah, absolutely. Your leadership team does, but you're actually delivery people don't because you just hired them in time. That helps me set expectations of, oh, actually, this is going to be a true ramp, storm, norm, perform, because everybody's new versus I thought you were bringing me senior resources. So like the cost savings, understanding what the relationship looks after initial setup and that evolution, I think it becomes very huge. And I think the, the trouble is quantifying that. In which system do we actually track how a company's doing, a project's doing, and these resources across the business becomes really important to say quality and value is still continuing through 12 months versus just the initial setup. Yep. Agreed. Well, I'd be interested in getting your opinion just from the clients that we work with on that technology is an enabler and they're selecting utmost to sort of encourage or enforce that visibility and transparency. What are you hearing from existing clients in terms of why utmost, why that sort of total visibility picture and why is that important? Oh, I love this question. No, this comes down to, and this is something that I, I strongly believe in always at LinkedIn, like 
front door, right? Because the initial reason around front door is to save manager time, right? A lot of exactly. the, when I think about some of the savings and it's soft savings, but typically people hire very skilled, high paid workers that don't love administrative work. And so when you think about not just the classification and compliance, which is important, but I'm a hit a step backwards. The idea of having a manager have to figure out which system to go into and then get it wrong and then retrain. And then it usually takes three to four weeks to figure out where the hell I'm going. So that's where, where people are really excited is the idea of saying, you go, manager goes this one spot every single time. There's no way this person can get it wrong, right? Because if it does get it wrong or there's too many unknowns, like again, we have, I don't know on everything. At least it puts it into someone's hands who's going to help them. So the minute they submit a something, they're getting to put into someone's hands who know what the next step is versus, I don't know if I fill out the right ticket and I don't know where this is going next. And so the manager efficiency on the cost savings of being like, this guy is $125 an hour. I don't want him to spend two weeks trying to figure out how to submit a ticket. I want him to spend two minutes submitting a ticket and then hiring faster with the right talent. So I think that's the first part when I think about why people are excited about front door. And um, and then the second part is exactly what you said. The idea of classification and compliance is real. It absolutely is real. We have to make sure we're hiring non-employees and employees in the right classification. We need to make sure that we're putting it in the right team's hands based on the company's rules, how they want to define things or enabling them to be operationally efficient in that and saying, great, we're going to triage this down. There's just a bunch of time savings, audit savings, compliance savings, the ability to get work done fast and with, yay, good data. We have all the systems and no one likes their data. I think in my industry, I can't trust it. And you're like, this is bananas. How is this current state? So I think those are the three things that I see people get really excited about, about how we're helping. Yeah, I like that. Talk to me about the soft savings, because I remember way back, I was managing a contingent labor program and using VMS, and we would meet with finance to go over our monthly numbers. And there was always this conversation around hard and soft savings. And how do you quantify that? And what can you really account for with soft savings versus actual hard dollar savings? So what is your opinion on that? Yeah, so I would say hard savings has to be defined as something you can actually show that you would have been charged this and you were charged that right? This is where the rate cards become really clear or again, procurement goals. I can say the initial rate was X and I drove them down to Y. So they're tracking that. But the soft savings to me are are those efficiencies that we were talking about or what didn't happen. So we already hit kind of the the efficiencies of when you get someone in the right tool as fast as possible with good data. But the seconds I would go with compliance. So let's hit on the compliance and AB5 and what's going on in California and IR35 around the European Union, Ireland and UK. There's a lot of things that happen when you're audited. You can get fined, back taxes, you can have income, you can have royalty. If you do things wrong, the amount of fines, especially if you're a big company. So let's talk about audits that happen from the, the, the US government. They love to make a name or a splash. Everyone knows the Microsoft case and FedEx and this and that. The bigger the name you are, they can't wait to kind of splash up a big fine so everyone else gets really nervous. But it's a lot of money when you think about if you've been doing things wrong or if people are misclassified, let's just use this example. You have a ton of project managers on your in your company team. They're in a role. It's core to who you are. They're on site. They have badge. It's very easy for either the IRS, DOL, or EDD to say this should have been an employee. And what happens when they open your books and are investigating one person, they investigate everybody. There's not, oh, it's just about Julia. They can open everyone. They can typically go back three years and they'll take a look and they'll try to reclassify folks. And based on that number, they'll say, okay, you owe this much in income tax. 
you know, this mentioned penalties and fines, and you need to change your process. And so the soft savings are, you're able to say, we didn't fail. We didn't have those. Now, again, it's harder, but everyone recognizes the soft versus hard, but it is incredibly important, especially when you think about the HR, legal and internal audit teams, they live by those. Their job is to prevent things happening because we're following the rules. And so outside of efficiencies, the ability to say, we can prove that we've done things correctly and are not going to have to worry about fines, penalties, whatever coming back and getting me later is incredibly powerful. And typically the bigger you get, the more often you are audited. So you have an, if maybe you have an internal audit team, maybe you don't, but you're able to show, and we can use SOX audit as another example. I don't want to fail this. It's really important to compliance for overall companies, but we're audited on a quarterly, whether it's external or internal. But if you're able to show, we will pass. There's a bunch of credits that come from, again, like that soft savings bank account, I'll say, to make sure that you're able to show the efficiencies are not only just uh, operational, but also in ways that keeps you out of the news. All the all your branding, all your PR. Everyone knew when Uber and Lyft went to battle. There's like they want to make a splash. So your reputation becomes really important. Another thing is I think about Google contractors, that big letter they sent was a big thing. People make buying and purchasing decisions based on how people are treated. So that there's soft savings around compliance, efficiency, and how workers are are treated. That brings up a good point. Shifting gears a tiny bit, what has the BMS gotten wrong in all this? There's been some um, research done by Aptitude Research Organization, and we've posted some of that information you can find on our social media around why is the BMS not working for procurement, where have they fallen short, a lot of information around businesses that are looking at replacing their BMS or not utilizing like 46% of the functionality. Where do you think they've gone? Yeah. That's a tough question. I love this industry. I grew up in this industry. When I think about some of the VMSs, is that they haven't changed. So as a software company, you got to build what your customers want. So they built stuff for staffing and contractors and making those paper time cards kind of go away. They're built on older architecture. Their ability to pivot and innovate is limited. So they were doing fine and it was focused on staffing stuff and contractor stuff. And then they bolted on other modules. And what the customer typically sees, it sounds like I can have everybody, but because of what, how their data object is structured and what's a deliver field versus a custom field, when you think about reporting or when you think about correlating data and getting insights, it doesn't all speak to each other or it's a ton of manual work or you hear quite a bit, the MSP gets a report and they'll say, I'll have this for you in two weeks. And you say, well, why? I have this system. Answer is like, oh, because we're kind of busy. No, they're crunching the numbers. They're pulling it out. They're doing it somewhere else and they're bringing it back. And a lot of things I think the MSP hides that again, the VMSs are only able to do what they can do and how much innovation and uh, investment do they have in their engineers? Are they just fixing tickets? Are they really going after new things? But a lot of it's the structure of how these different classifications can talk to each other or don't, how delivered versus custom fields work, and then the language. So because it used to be very procurement driven and now it's more HR is some of the language in the VMS is very unique to the VMS. And it's not the same, let's say, as your financial ERP and your PO tool and your HR tool. So when you're looking to try to compare how do we get this done with who and what, you don't have actually the data that matches. You can't actually say because you don't have all the information, you don't have the project manager, the job profile. The original systems are built for very different things. And so therefore, when you think about a, a modern talent strategy or modern perspective of how the entire workforce works, it's clunky. It requires manual, manual work to it. 
And those are the things that I think that are the biggest deficits in the VMS. But it's supplier funded, Erica. Loves supplier models. Okay. I get, thank you for that. It's my Friday soapbox. You guys can't see me, but I am wringing my fingers. We're climbing on. It is very important for this industry to know that supplier funded was invented by a supplier. Now, why would they have wanted to do that? Ha! It is much easier to not have to have to go through the PO process than have your owner ask for money. So you can work with a lower level manager, business line manager, or anyone who doesn't have a budget because you say that it's free. You say the suppliers are funding it. Now, all y'all listening, I know you know it's not true. You pay for it. We're just going to say this out. You pay for it. The suppliers bill it back to you. It is in the markup. I don't care how much you push down. You are paying for that. It's very important. But what you don't get by paying for it is actually clear visibility into how much value you actually are getting on a SaaS subscription where you can say, I'm making this number up. This system costs us $200,000 a year. Do we actually get $200,000 a year, the value from it? When it's distributed across a business line, and there's good news on that. I understand why, hey, the business is paying for it because they're using it. Like That's a very common story went up. But what you're not able to do is simply is to see actually how much it did cost you. I know a ton of programs who are paying a million dollars for the technology because it's supplier funded and it's based on X, Y, and Z. And if you ask them, are you getting a million dollars of value? They look at me like you're crazy. You're saying, well, do the math. So there's, I think there's the important thing to say is that it's not free. It is never free. You are paying for it, but you miss the visibility. The other part that I talk about, and this is less about, sorry for the savings for the CPO, but I think it's important for our CW audience to listen to it is what you lose out by not being a PO owner is the visibility of your director, senior director, VP, and your FP&A to recognize that you're running a very mature function that deserves to be funded. There's a bunch of conversations that are having. Everyone else on your team who has a system are in these conversations talking, and it elevates who you are, elevates the conversation you're having about what your program is doing. More eyes is not a bad thing. It's bad for the supplier. It is not bad for your program. You want senior leadership to recognize Okay, my program takes, I'm making this up, $500,000 to run, but here's all the great things that come from it. And it's growing and expanding. When you own a large amount of PO, people ask, what are you doing? And you're able actually to broadcast, look at all the stuff I'm doing around talent strategy and data and compliance next X, Y, and Z. When it's hidden, no one looks. And here's the downside here all the time, CW owners, I have a glass ceiling. I can't get to the next level. It's because you've limited yourself in the organization based on, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. It's an antiquated way to buy technology. No other technology is doing it this way. You think about your HCM, you didn't do it. And so again, it's really important to understand you typically are paying more when you're using supplier funded than if you were just on a regular SaaS subscription and you want finance and you want your teams to see this because they will help you understand and tease out the value. Yeah. That's a really good point. You mentioned at the beginning, the event we had in Minneapolis and and procurement really being involved in that talent strategy conversation, bringing HR and procurement together to talk about what's being done across the entire enterprise. Are you seeing procurement get more involved in that or how does that shape up with the clients that we have? It's interesting. So we have a couple, I, I slice and dice them all the time. I have procurement teams who are like, HR, please pay attention. They are on board with total workforce management. They are, they're working, trying to get HR to focus. focus. And, they, and they love because we bring the workday element and the workday language. And the HRIT team says, oh, you are speaking my language. You understand how this works. They're finally getting the foot in the door to HR that they never had before. Because they'd say, this system isn't built for me. But why do I care as HR? So there's that. The other part is the group who says, hey, 
they they may, mainly own from the HR side, but they're able to say procurement. Were you aware? Did you see what's going on? How do we work together? And so I still think it's a 50-50 mix or 45-45 mix. I know IT and compliance groups are starting to come up. It's starting to see a little bit more of those, which I love because they're out of both of it. They're saying, hey, but usually when it's IT, it is a soft save or the tech stack is where the, the savings come from, but it's all about operations. And they say, let me work with both of you guys together. I'm the third party who's less biased on what you guys are trying to do and I'm going to bring you together. So I've seen some growth on that and I love to see that, but I think it's still going to be a toss up when I think about total workforce management and I think about how HR procurement today, it's still in everyone's best interest, I believe is to show this is not a separate goal. This is a goal amongst HR and procurement goals already. We're completing the goals they already have in place. So talent strategy, this is a no brainer. How are you getting work done? By who, for what, by what value and what location? Did you like it? Should you change? Like that's a hundred percent total talent strategy. Diversity, it's really important. It's important to understand the other side, the makeup. This is not 1% of your population, guys. This is 10 to 20 to 30 to 40. I know some folks who have more non-employees employees. So when you talk about diversity, inclusion, yep. diversity of thought, this is part of, right? So again, if you're laying the groundwork, you're part of the other goals that you have. Quality value, tenure and attrition. These are all good information. People, tra manager training. We all know some managers were not meant to be managers or just need more help. Typically, when you look at a trend across the board, if you see contractors rolling over or projects getting delayed, you generally see a correlation on the employee side. How many people have been either written up or people have left? It generally correlates on who that manager is. These are good insights to say either this person should not be a manager or I need to train him and lay into him. This is awesome. So you and I, with our collective years in this industry, could probably talk about this for another two hours. But I think we hit on a lot of the really good points for the CPO. And I think there's a lot of opportunity still for CEOs that have you know, been at organizations for a long time or just coming into the organization to advantage of savings opportunities, technology enablers. I don't think we missed anything, but I'm going to leave it back to you to sign off and make sure there's nothing... <laughs> That we wanted to cover that we didn't. No, I, I, I agree. I think the one thing I would leave us with is outside of cost savings, what the conversations the CPO could be having is if procurement team owns vast majority of non-employee workers underneath his remit, having a conversation with the CHRO on talent strategy becomes an absolute imperative of how we're doing this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the build, buy, borrow, buy, because that isn't procurement's language. But there is a, did you know we're spending 200 million on professional services for marketing versus just hiring some people? Did you know we're outsourcing, we're doing core and non-core outsourcing and engineering? Did you know we have these people doing these things in all these different countries when let's pretend like we reduced headcount, we said no more hiring and it popped up. Quality to value of what the talent strategy is becomes where the CPO I think can really start to lean into these conversations at the highest level and at the sea level to make sure that they're not missing that viewpoint. All right. Should we sign off for Friday afternoon? Everyone's tired. Everyone's ready to go home. I think we should. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.